Thank you for listening to the sermons here at Ascension Lutheran Church. Our worship services happen on Sunday mornings. 8.30 is our traditional worship service, and 10.30 is our contemporary worship service. We'd love to see you on a Sunday morning. You can visit us also on our website at www.alcrpv.org. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you are God and there is no other. We ask that you come into this time and you fill us full of your life, fill us full of your hope. Give us the opportunity to to hear, to see, and to know that you are God. Lord, we need your presence here. Because if this is about me and my work, if it's about things that I can do or have done, Lord, nothing will happen. But when you show up, when you do the work, lives are changed. Hearts move. So Lord, chisel out eyes and ears out of our granite heads so that we might hear and see the work that you are doing. We pray these things in the powerful name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So we intentionally um, are not going through the fruits of the Spirit just in order, in the order of the Galatians verse, but instead we wanted to place the fruits in a time of year that made sense for us, and we decided that this month, as we are in the season of Advent, we would like to talk about patience. Because the season of Advent is the time where we are focusing on waiting, waiting for God to act. Now, there's a temptation, of course, to think, oh, it's about seeing what he's done and waiting for Christmas, because Christmas is coming up. But as Christians, we know God came in Christmas. We know that that happened. We know his work and the way he incarnated and died and rose for us. What we're waiting for is Jesus to come again. The world is broken. The world hurts. There's so much wrong. And we pray, come, Lord Jesus. Come into this world. Come again. And so there's this anticipation, and we're building, and we're growing, and we're waiting for Advent to go and get bigger and bigger. And then we celebrate at the end with Christmas that Jesus has come and he will come again. And so in the season of patience, we are looking at Abram or Abraham. You heard him spoken in Genesis chapter 12. We're going to look at his life and we're going to talk about what he teaches us about patience. This Sunday, we're going to talk about patience in our calling. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about patience in prayer. Then we're going to talk about patience in redemption. So looking at the story of Abraham and our patience in our calling. Let's open, if you can, to Genesis chapter 12. Um, It is conveniently in the very beginning of the Bible. So you don't have to flip many pages. Um, I want you to um, open to the beginning of Genesis. If you don't bring the Bible with you, there are pew Bibles in front of you. You can grab and use. Um, You also can take out your phone if you want and look up there. So we'll begin with Genesis chapter 12. We'll actually just do a little recap before that. Genesis, at the beginning, God created everything. God created man and woman. They're in a garden. They're in a relationship with God. 
they fall into sin. They decide to go their own way. And the essence of sin is saying, I want to be God. I don't want you to be God. And they decide to take that route. We have Cain and Abel. Then the world just gets wicked and wicked and wicked. And then Noah comes and we have the flood and starting over. And then we go to the Tower of Babel. Once again, God's people are trying to do it their own way. They're trying to build this tower, get to God. And now we have a whole list of descendants. So we have a lineage and it goes through Genesis chapter 11 Genesis chapter 11, verse 29, Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Ishkah. Verse 30, now Sarai was barren. She had no child. We go on in this story to see that the calling of Abram in Genesis chapter 12 is Genesis chapter 12. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the ones who curse you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Through, through Abram, through Sarai, we're going to receive a blessing. We're going to receive a blessing of a great nation, of a huge family, And you look back at verse 30, and what do you see? God, you picked poorly. Sarai's womb doesn't work. She's barren. Why? Out of all the people, everywhere, you chose chose these two, the ones who can't have a baby to make a great nation, to make a great family. But isn't this exactly the way God loves it? So that when the story ends, all the praise goes to him and not to Abram and Sarai. I am going to work where it seems unworkable. I'm going to do work where it seems it's impossible. I will show up. And so he calls Abram and Sarai and says, you, you're going to be my people and you're going to leave here and get a new land and be a new nation. And he goes. Now, Abram goes, and I think this beautiful part about the story of Abram is it's like you and me. Abram feels the call. He knows he's called into something. And yet there's fear. And yet there's trepidation. So Abram goes, but you notice what he does here. If you go down just a little bit, 12 verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Who's Lot? Lot's his nephew. Abram and Sarai can't have a child. Who do I think Lot is? I think Lot is Abram's plan. Hey, you know that we can't have a baby, but I'm a nephew. He's my family. I can start this family you want me to start through him. And he brings Lot with him. Now, Lot being with him causes all kinds of issues. And if you go through the story, you can see all the different places that having Lot with him became an issue. But God, like with us, is slow and patient with Abram. He doesn't just give up on him, but he sees Abram take these little baby steps, and he says, okay, Abram, let's go. I know you brought Lot with you, and I know that that's your backup plan, but let's go. 
And Abram goes. And he goes into this new land. And if you just kind of flip forward, we'll do a a flyby, a 350,000-foot view over the life of Abram. Abram goes, and he goes into the land, and we see Abram and Lot separate, and then Lot's captivity and rescue. And then God reaffirms his covenant with Abram in um, Genesis chapter 15. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, and your reward shall be very great. God continues to tell Abram, I have you. I know you're, you're veering this way, and you're unsure of your call at times, but I am with you. Then, Abram and Sarai, the lot plan hasn't worked out. All sorts of crazy things have happened. So what do they do now? Ah, well, we will have a baby through Hagar. Again, I know you want me to be a great nation. I'm not sure how it's going to happen. So we're going to work this out our way through Hagar. Out of this relationship comes Ishmael. And God says, that's not the plan. I'm going to do something in you and through you. But don't we relate to Abram? Well, God, what if if I do it this way? Well, God, I hear your call, but I want it to go the way I want it to go, so let me work this out so it looks the way I want it to look. And Abram just keeps living in this space and doing this over and over and over again. God, once again, affirms the call of him to to Abram and says, you are mine. I'm going to make you a great family through you and through Sarah. And when he says this, Sarah laughs. She says, ha! Uh, We've tried. We've done all the things. None of it's working. It's not going to work. And then she has a child. And they name that baby Laughter. Because she laughed when the promise got made. The baby, his name is Isaac. And if you flip forward then, you see that there is an end of this story where Abram is called to take Isaac and to sacrifice him. Now, would the Abram, who was at the beginning of this, would the Abram, who at the start of this story grabbed Lot, who in the middle of the story chose to try to make the plan work with Hagar, would this Abram have gone to sacrifice Isaac? I don't think so. I think what happened is as Abram went this way and went that way and did this plan and that plan, slowly inside of him, this conviction of his calling, this trust in who God was, was growing and brewing in him. So that at the end, when he was called to sacrifice Isaac, he said, I don't understand it, but I'm going to go and I'm going to do it. And as he walked, he went and he told his servants, he said, Isaac and I are going to go and do a sacrifice, and we will come back to you. I do not know what that means. I don't know how, but I believe in God, and I believe this is the child of the promise. And so he will do something. Abram's calling as he waited on God and as God was patient with him, firmed up and became more and more secure and more and more certain. And this is, I believe, like you and me. Don't we go left and we go right? Don't we try to do things our own way? Don't we take things and and work them out in our own plans? But God's consistent, patient love with us, the God who doesn't give up on us and who even takes our mistakes and says, I can work with that and bends it this way. This is the God who has given us a holy calling. Now, you and me a holy calling. 
See, it's easy and it's tempting to think the work of the church is done by people who dress like me. Oh, yeah, the pastor does the work, or Townsend and Gap, they do the work because they're up front, or, or maybe the reader, but there's a little bit done, but I can sit back and relax and enjoy. They're the clergy, they're the ordained, I'm just the ordinary person. Now, something that Luther did, there are scholars who say the most important thing Luther did was not his important teaching on grace and the indulgences and forgiveness of sins, very important, but the thing that changed the world was Luther stood up and he said, the priesthood of all believers, that it is not just the ordained and the clergy who do the work, but it is every baptized Christian. You are the priests. You are the people of God called to do the work of God. He read 1 Peter 2 verse 5. Like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are a holy priesthood. You are the spiritual house. God has called each of us into this. We hear um, this teaching that he has on the priesthood of all believers. A priest, this is Luther, especially in the New Testament, was not made but was born. He was created, not ordained. He was born not indeed of flesh, but through a birth of the Spirit, by water and the Spirit in the washing of regeneration. Indeed, all Christians are priests, and all priests are Christian. So who is the priest? Who is responsible to do the work and things of God? You and me. See, in Luther's time, it was just the clergy who knew Latin, who could just read the scriptures, who were doing the work of the church and the sacraments and all of those things. But what Luther said was, no, 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 it's not their job, it's everyone's job. When you were baptized, you were baptized into a priesthood. You were given a unique call to do something for him. And God is patient with us. He's patient with us as we grow and discover, like he was patient with Abraham, to grow and discover and to go from the one who left to the one who journeyed to the mountain to sacrifice Isaac. To go through that journey, God is patient and bringing a call out of us. Do you know how old Noah was when he was called to build the ark? He was not 22 years old and graduating from college. He was 600 years old. Do I have any 600-year-olds in the house? Oh, one. <laughs> I will not tell you who raised their hand. But, and she pointed, actually. It was more of what she did. But um, 600 years old when God called Noah. He was waiting for God to use him. And he said, God said, I'm ready to use you. The verse that I love to remember, Noah was a blameless man and he walked with God. He just walked with God and God said, okay, Noah, let's do this. God has called you into ministry. He's called you into a place, not because you're ordained, not because you're a trained musician, but because you were baptized. On July 4th, 1982, I was baptized. And every year they have fireworks for me. That's how I like to think of it, but I'm not sure it's true. 
But that date was a date that God marked and said, Scott, you are called into ministry. Now, I was three months old at that time. And since then, God has been growing and birthing and and changing this call and, and using this thing for me to do his work. Now, there's times I do it my own way. I try to work my own path. I, I want it to be the way I want to do it. And God takes me and graciously pushes me back in the right direction or even takes my mistakes and does something glorious with them. He takes the things that I couldn't imagine anything good and does something good out of them. Why? Because at my baptism, he called me a priest. He called you a priest. He has given you a holy calling to serve his church. He is patient with you. Are you going to be patient with him as he allows this thing to come up inside of you, this thing that you are called to do, your purpose that you have? In the season of Advent, we celebrate the fact that we're waiting. And I want for us to be waiting to discover the way God has used us or will use us. So I have a couple of questions, and I find these questions helpful um, in my ministry to help people to sort out how God is calling them into the priesthood. Because, you know, I've been doing, as you know, I've been doing ministry since I was 18 years old, so I've done youth ministry and all sorts of things, and this question comes up whether it's with middle schoolers or it's with 80-year-olds, but I cannot tell you the number of times I have people saying, yep. I guess God's not going to use me. Oh, I don't have any gifts. Uh, he, he stepped over me when he was giving out the gifts and gave everyone else a gift. So I don't know. I'm not sure how I'm going to be used. This uncertainty that comes with it, we need to acknowledge and accept that in our baptism we are called and God has given us a good purpose. So where is it? That's a great question. Where is it? Abram, you're called to go and be a father of many nations and trust in God to do the work. So I want you to take out something, whether it be a little notepad paper um, for little Lutherans in front there or a blue card or on your phone. I want you to write down the answers to those questions. There's only three questions and it'll probably be one word answers. But I want you to do this so that these answers irritate you this week. So that you see these answers somewhere and you think, okay, Lord, I was called in that service to do this thing. And what's amazing about these answers is every one of you is going to be different. And that's good. Because we don't want everyone to be the same. So, we got something? We got our phones out? We got a paper? Something to write down on? Okay, good. And here's the deal also. Do not overthink the answer. I was just spending time with someone who said, I'm a bad test taker because I know the answer, then I overthink it, then I change the answer, then I change it again, then I change it again. I don't want you to be like her. What I want you to do is just that first thing that pops into your mind, that's your answer. Okay? Here's the first question. What group is the church not serving enough? What group of people? Is it little people? Is it older people? Is it people with disabilities? Is it homeless people? What is it? Whatever it is. What group of people Is the church not serving enough? Write your answer down. I want you to look at the answer right now. God is calling you to that group of people. You're not allowed to give this off to me. You're not allowed to give this off to Townsend. 
God is calling you to that group of people because there's something in you that burns for that group of people. So what is it? What is that group? I want you to be in prayer over how can I serve this group of people and creatively thinking of ways that God may be calling you to this group of people. Second question. This is a question that I love to do over lunch with people because what I find about this question is it always catches people off guard. None of us like to talk highly of ourselves. How about this? Very few of us like to talk highly of ourselves. Because if you know me long enough, you know I don't necessarily not enjoy that. Um, here's the question. What are you naturally better at than most people? What just comes easy to you? What do you naturally do that you just go, of course I can do this thing? How are you using that for the kingdom? How are you using that thing? God has wired you in a certain way. He's given you an ability, a talent, a thing. Use that for his kingdom. You're a priest. Use that thing for his kingdom. What just comes easy to you? I've had conversations with people, and she says to me, well, you know, when you're just folding laundry and you're just called to pray for the people in the world who are sick and hungry and you're just doing that, and you know how God wakes you up at 2 in the morning and just calls you to pray for people. You know how that happens. No, I don't. You're called to prayer. You are naturally called to prayer. God has gifted you in prayer. Do that thing. Do it for the glory of God. So, what group of people is the church not serving enough? Who are those people? What are you doing that you just are good at, that you can use to serve that people, that group of people? What just flows out of you? What do you find yourself doing that you're like, oh, that's, I didn't realize that was hard. But for other people, they go, what? I can't do that. We all have that. Everyone in this room has that. Do not leave this room and tell me, well, I know, I'm that one person who doesn't have it. Nope. Not true. I will not let the 12-year-old you beat up on the 40-year-old you. Okay, last question. What financial sacrifice should I make to help the church achieve this mission? What can I give? Because all of this takes resources. It takes things. What can I give up? What can I change just a little bit to help achieve this? Hey, I'm going to give up that one cup of coffee on Mondays. I'm going to drive by Starbucks, and I'm going to just sell the church $5 as I drive by Starbucks. I'm used to flying business class when I go on vacations. I'm just going to downgrade to coach, and I'm going to take that difference, and I'm going to send that to the church right away. What's a place you can put yourself in an uncomfortable position so that you can help the church, universal, do the work it's called to do? What's something this week you can do? Then do it. Do it. I think these questions are questions that challenge us, that irk us, that, that get into that place with us, but they, they ask us, what is it that you have called me to do? The amazing good news, and I want you to hear this so clearly, is that God is patient with you. Maybe it's been up until this moment where you felt like you don't know how God's called you to serve. Maybe you've been waiting like Noah 600 years and you've been waiting for this and this is the time where you go, okay, I need with my ability to organize, I need to help children. Because those are my answers to that question. 
And this week, I'm going to give up my, my lunch out, and I'm going to give that money right to the church to support. Whatever it is. And God's patient. Look at how long he worked with Abram. He's not just ready for you to fail and going to give up on you. But he gently guides you. He shows you the way. He continually presses you towards his direction. And in this wonderful beauty, mercy, and grace, he guides us. And so for you, maybe, maybe you've been waiting 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, but God goes with you on that journey. And I encourage you today to take this list, wherever you wrote it down, and just to put it somewhere in your house, in your car, somewhere where it will be seen and you can pray over it. And you can pray over it and ask yourself, God, you've been patient with me and I've been patient with you because I've been wanting to be used. Use me this week. Use me this year. Transform this time. Heavenly Father, we, um, we are not patient people. We are people who are quick to forget, quick to give up, quick to go our own way. Boy, do we do that quickly. But Lord, you are so patient with us. You have repeatedly, over and over, shown your goodness by waiting and, and guiding and correcting and moving Lord, like a good father, a good, good father who takes time with his children, you wait on us. And so, Lord, we ask at this day, on this time, that for these questions, as they, as they I, I pray, I pray reveal something of each of us. Lord, let us not seek for a way to get out from the conviction of these questions. But let us instead stand up and say, Lord, you are graciously calling me into something new. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, work in the people who are seated here. Work in the people who are watching online. Work in them so that they might hear this call and recognize the call of Abram to go. And as we go, we go with our uncertainties. We go with our doubts. We go with our backup plans. And Lord, you patiently work with us. So Lord, we ask. We ask for patience with ourselves. We ask for patience with those whom we love. We ask for patience not to expect them to be perfect, but to expect them to be walking day in and day out with you. Lord, thank you for being a God who doesn't give up on us, but patiently waits. Give us your Holy Spirit, give us your peace. We pray these things in the powerful name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.